I did notice you have a high concentration of bald men, bald bearded men, so the, no the anointing is upon you here. It's good to be with you. Again, my name is Mark. Um, I enjoyed being with you in February. Uh, some of you I recognize by name and, and uh, face. And some of you I saw last month in Atlanta as we celebrated Nancy and her life. It's wonderful to be back in this part of the country. I was just in Buffalo uh, yesterday training pastors at a conference, and I will be in Mansfield later today, tomorrow working with uh, some national youth directors helping to create a handbook for youth ministry. And uh, today is a day to be with you, and I'm excited. I want to encourage you today from the work of God and the Word of God. The work of God and the Word of God. So I want to share a little bit more about our ministry. Uh, I lead a ministry called the Institute for Youth Studies, um, and this church does support us, and then some of you individually support our ministry. Thank you so much for that, and uh, I believe I'm accountable to you as prayer partners, financial giving partners. Hopefully, some of you become volunteer partners. And so I want to give you an update, uh, just a brief update, and share some testimonies, some stories with you, okay? Uh, first, our ministry exists to encourage, equip, and empower global youth ministers. So we do this in a unique way. We work with the highest level youth leaders around the world. Uh, denominational, network, alliance, social movement leaders that influence thousands and thousands of churches and tens and hundreds of thousands of youth. We just found over the years that there are men and women God has put in position of authority and influence, and often they're alone and discouraged, and they need to be encouraged. They need to be equipped and empowered to see their vision for their nation come true. And so uh, just a quick update, uh, last year, let's go to that next slide. Last year, we were able to impact 50, over 50 youth ministry influencers in 18 nations. This is through coaching, consulting, training, networking, a variety of support services to see their visions and dream come true, to connect them together, to collaborate, to create new resources so youth can know Christ and make Christ known, amen? Uh, it's a huge impact last year. Some of you uh, know about one of our particular partners in the country of Zambia. Um, we partnered with David and his team. They have a national ministry, and they share the gospel, the good news, with young people, and then they train young people to share the good news. And David said, hey, we have a lot of the students in the rural areas. The girls can't afford sanitary pads during their monthly cycle, and they miss school. Uh, month after month, they start falling behind, and then they drop out. And unfortunately, that 12 or 13-year-old very quickly becomes a mother, not of her own choosing, most times not of her own choosing. And David said, hey, we, we, we're doing great ministry, and we're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, but we really want to show them the good news. Can you help us? And so we helped them launch an, an, an initiative called High Hopes, H-Y for hygiene, hopes for hopes. And it's got three goals to give immediate hope through toiletries and training, primarily with the young girls, but also with the boys as well, teaching them about hygiene uh, and sexual purity and God's plan for their life. And then uh, uh, lasting or uh, immediate hope and then lasting hope, lasting hope is um, talking to them about their identity, their worth and their value. 
Their value is found uh, in Christ, not in their circumstances. And then, of course, the eternal hope through the good news found in Jesus Christ and salvation through him alone. And so thank you for your investment. Here are some quick stats that are on the board now. Uh, at least 300 girls received toiletries and training. A thousand young people heard the good news of Jesus Christ and heard in Ephesians 2.10 that they are a masterpiece, a masterpiece created new in Christ Jesus for good works. And then at least 130 put their trust in Jesus Christ and are born again and have eternal hope. Uh, through your generosity and many others around the nation, we were able to help uh, procure industrial sewing machines, help train their team to make sanitary pads and other supplies. Uh, through finances, we were able to uh, have a retreat for their team and train 50 of their staff members across the country for outreach. We helped develop a biblical-based curriculum for them and so much more. So thank you for helping us impact the country of Zambia. Here's another quick update. Uh, we partnered with a ministry in Pakistan. Uh, they are the largest Pentecostal fellowship in Pakistan, and they have a unique ministry in the brick kiln communities. Young people, I know we've got some kids in here. Have you heard the word kiln before? Kilns are like ovens, and brick kiln communities are where they make bricks. And uh, unfortunately, many of the people in many of these communities are indentured or enslaved. They owe a debt and they haven't been able to pay it off, and so they work 10, 12, 14 hours a day making bricks. And unfortunately, their five-year-olds, six-year-olds, 10-year-olds also make bricks with them. And so this group of churches said, hey, we wanna go in and do two things. We wanna set up schools so those kids can have a break from the hot sun and making bricks. And so for five hours a day, five days a week, those kids go to school and they learn in English and Urdu, reading, writing, arithmetic, and the good news, found through the person of Jesus Christ. And on average, about 40 kids attend one of these schools. And guess what? Ages three to 15. Can you imagine being the solo teacher trying to connect with a preschooler all the way up to junior high, high schooler? But they do it. Uh, it's really basic education, but they're loved, they're cared for, and uh, they're educated, especially during chapel service. They do another thing. They redeem families. They they, through the generosity of others, raise money, and they go in and they pay the debt for a family in bondage. This is an Isaiah 61-type ministry. They set the captives free and preach the good news of the kingdom. They then give them two to three months of food supplies. They offer transportation to get them away from that area so they're not pulled back into debt and bondage. They invite them into Christian community to come live with them in their apartment complex or near their church facilities. They give them job skills and training and then startup money to start a business like an ox and cart moving business or maybe like a rice or noodle shop or they train them how to sew and they become seamstresses. When we first uh, met Pastor Arif and began working with him, uh, thinking through this plan, I think they had four schools and they hadn't yet started their redemption ministry. And just this summer, as I met with him and coached him and talked about fundraising strategies, um, he told me um, they have 63, no, 60-something 60, 60 schools, 64, I think, schools now across Pakistan, and they have redeemed or rescued 100 families. Now, a family could be one, two, or three generations. could be parents, children, and, and grandchildren. Um, and I asked him, Pastor Arif, how many of those people have come to trust in Jesus Christ, the true redeemer, the rescuer? And he said 99%. Wow, isn't that amazing? Pray for us as we help him 
uh, in his ministry this coming year. We've offered some support services to them. Uh, we need favor and wisdom and discernment as we help them uh, communicate what they're doing better, uh, raise up resources. It's about $100 a month to staff a teacher in one of these communities. It pays for her transportation and uh, her salary. It's about $35 for a whole uh, backpack kit with supplies. Um, and if you can imagine 60 or more of these schools spread across the country, it's a lot of money to operate that. And they want to launch more of these schools and redeem and rescue more families. It's about $1,000 to rescue a family. But pray for us as we help him communicate his message better. Okay, how about uh, maybe one more, uh, one more praise report and prayer request. Uh, we work with the highest level youth leaders here in America. Uh, in fact, in January, we had a gathering uh, where a handful of the leaders not only had great ice cream, that's one of my kryptonite. I love ice cream. And um, we collaborated and developed a resource to help them and help churches in America. Uh, believe it or not, tomorrow I'll be meeting with some leaders as well. Those leaders will represent uh, at least 3,000 churches in America. And we're going to start the journey to develop a guidebook or a handbook. Many of the churches, and I'll talk to denominations that have 2,000 or more churches, um, 50, 60% of those churches have no trained youth leaders. Um, they're volunteers giving five or 10 hours a week. And um, so a group of us want to start developing a handbook or guidebook to help youth volunteers and youth leaders across the nation. Pray for me. If you think of me, pray for me tomorrow. We do have a prayer card in the lobby. We also have our infograph that sh celebrates some of our impact for the year. Our winter newsletter is out on that table as well. Uh, and fresh off the press, uh, just yesterday, we uploaded on our website our annual report. Our annual report is filled with all kinds of awesome information of what God did. If you gave $10 to this ministry or you gave $100 to this ministry, I want you to look at that report. It's on our impact page, and you will see some statistics and, no and stories of what God has done uh, and celebrate with us, okay? I'm going to be af out in the lobby afterwards. You want to talk more and learn more about the different people we work with around the world. Uh, but I want to now pivot, and I want to encourage you from God's Word. Is that okay? All right, I have a message for you today called Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Now, when I was in Zambia, which is a small country in Africa, if some of you don't know that, uh, my client, David, his wife was expecting their third child. And this is probably her most difficult pregnancy. And uh, there were complications. And David and I were out uh, meeting and doing uh, various ministry. And um, uh, his wife was having some health issues and went to the hospital. And so she reached out and said, uh, David, come meet me in the, at the hospital. She, I think she was there 12 hours. Um, that's a lot for a pregnant woman at seven, eight months to be sitting and waiting. And um, she was having a variety of tests. And so uh, we went to the hospital. It was later in the evening, and I was hungry, and I was tired. And David said, well, Pastor Mark, I'll just put you in a taxi, and you could go back to uh, your hotel. I just really felt like God wanted me to stay with him in that waiting room. And David was really going through a difficult time of waiting, and his wife was going through a difficult time. I'm pleased to say that they had their third child, and the third child as well, and so is the mother. Praise God. But it was a brief reminder that we all are in a waiting room, aren't we? And we all go through times where we wait. Young people, maybe you're waiting for the newest game to come out. Teenagers, maybe you're waiting for God to do a miracle in your parents' marriage. Because you see and hear what's really going on. Business person, maybe you're waiting on that investor to come through. Person, maybe you're waiting on a raise. <laughs> 
Maybe you've got chronic debilitating disease and you're waiting on God to do a miracle. We are always waiting, aren't we? In fact, our journey of life is a giant waiting room. And I want to encourage you today from God's word, looking at one Bible verse in the Old Testament. That's the first part of the Bible. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. And here the Lord was using the prophet Isaiah to speak a word of encouragement to the nation, maybe even a word of rebuke. Yes, it was given in a certain period of time, but you'll see the truths in this single verse, in this one sentence, you can see them these truths all throughout God's story, the Bible. And I believe it's going to encourage you today. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read this Bible verse. We're going to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts and help us to apply this message with what we say and do. And then I'm going to excavate and dig in and share some insights with you. Does that sound good? You guys ready for this journey? Let's go ahead and look at this one verse. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says this. And by the way, I, I am intentionally using the English Standard Version which better aligns with the original Hebrew language. I'm a bit of a linguist, and you're going to find out I'm a bit of a geek here in a minute. But let me go ahead and read this. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to open our minds and hearts. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word and to be encouraged by you and your voice. We ask, Lord, that you would open our minds and help us to have attention and focus right now. We might have many distractions, but Lord, help us to move that clutter out of the way and to hear you speak. God, we also ask that you would stir within us an excitement for you and your word. And Lord, you would bring a healing touch in our lives today and that we would have passion and excitement for the things of God. And then, Lord, not only would you touch our head and our heart today, but Lord, would you help us do something with our hands and our feet and, and what we say. Help us to apply your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, when it comes to waiting, the first thing you should know, and this is going to be a well-duh type of moment, is there is stress from waiting. How many would agree there is stress from waiting. I'm not talking about the drive-through line that's taking really long. Customer service is really bad nowadays. Have you noticed that? I'm not talking about that kind of stress. My wife was on the phone with a bank the other, the other day, and it was an hour and a half on hold. I would have ripped out my hair years ago if I was on hold for an hour and a half. I, but there are much deeper, significant things in life that cause great stress. Let's look at our text today. I've highlighted a few words there. Notice it says, they who wait... For the Lord. Maybe you're used to a different version of the Bible that says those who hope in the Lord. What's a more common one? Those who trust in the Lord. Hope and trust are implied, but the original word is better described as wait. In fact, this word wait in the original Hebrew language, as this message was shared with the Israelite people, it implies tension. In fact, that word was used of ropes twisted together and under great tension. And as I studied this passage, you know what came to my mind right away? A balsa wood airplane. Did anyone have one of these when they were a kid? Or any kids in the room ever play with one of these? 
It's a real simple concept. There's a rubber band underneath, and you begin to turn the prop or propeller. And as you turn that propeller, you twist the rubber band. And the more you turn that propeller and the more the rubber band twists, guess what happens? There's a great deal of stress, strain in that rubber band. I remember as a child, I would get really nervous. I'd get nervous because I didn't know how much that rubber band could take. I thought maybe it would snap. If I'm honest with you, there are times in my life where I'm waiting on God to do a miracle and I wonder how much I can take and if I'm about to snap. Even right now, as my finger rotates this propeller, I feel that rubber band pressing against my other fingers. I feel the strain in the fuselage, the wooden frame of this plane. I also feel the tension on my finger here in the prop and I'm scared to let go. And in fact, there have been times in the past where I've let go and that blade, that plastic is so sharp it can slice. This is a great picture of what's happening when we're waiting and we're going through a process of waiting. But I want you to notice something else in the text here. Isaiah the prophet said, they who wait for the Lord. The original here is Yahweh or Yahweh. Why is that important? That's the name of the covenant God, the God of commitment, the God that never leaves us nor forsakes us, the God that's fully committed to his promises to us, the God who knows us. You see, we don't wait on an ideology. We wait on a loving God. You know what's interesting about this word wait? Not only does it apply or mean stress or tension, it was used in a few unique ways. It was used of a spider weaving a web waiting for its prey. In a different setting, the same word was used for a soldier in a fighting position, lying in wait to ambush the enemy. Why is that important for you and I today? Because there is always purpose in the wait. There's always purpose in the wait. Listen, if you're like me and you've criticized Christians that are like, well, just wait on Jesus. It's all going to work out. And that passivity bothers you because you're a doer. I want to encourage you, when we wait on the Lord, it is purposeful. Just as that spider waits and just as that sniper waits. There's purpose there. And so a question I ask myself when I go through those times of waiting, and I'm going through some significant waiting periods in my life right now, a question I ask myself, and maybe you need to ask yourself today, is what is God teaching me? What is God teaching me? What is he teaching me about myself, about this situation, this obstacle? What is he teaching me, most importantly, about him? I'll tell you a few things I learned during the waiting time, during the stress of life. I learned about his presence. Now I'm going to ask us to do a form of testimony right now. How many of you Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, would say during a time of stress, trouble, confusion, during a waiting period of your life, you were very aware of God's presence because of his peace that surpassed all understanding? I want you to raise your hand if you experienced God teaching you that he was present 
And that, like Romans says, he is working all things for good. Amen. Young people, look at those hands. Young people, five-year-olds, ten-year-olds, look around. You need to know men and women have walked this walk before you. Young people, you will go through times of stress, but you need to know that God is present. When you can't feel, because our feelings are deceptive, that God is present, we've got to look at his pattern of behavior a forensic scientist or a homicide detective would look at the modus operandi, the pattern of behavior. Scripture is all about God's pattern of behavior. Where are you, God? What are you doing right now? I don't understand why. Okay, back up for a second. You might not understand and see God working right now during that time of stress, but look at the big picture of how he's worked throughout history, throughout your, even throughout your life. Not only are, can we learn about God's presence, his pattern of behavior, but I pray that we can remember his promises. And during times of stress, we need to go to scripture. We need to read the story of God and remember his promises. Why? So we can combat the lies. Amen? What is God teaching me during that time of stress? Okay, a second thing that happens there is strength from waiting. Strength from waiting. How many understand a little bit about physics? Enough to know that as I twist this propeller and as this rubber band endures great stress, it is also producing strength. There is energy here. It's stored now and soon it will be released. And that's so true when we go through a time of stress. Let's go to our text though. Let's go back to scripture. We're gonna always anchor there. Let's look at that verse. They who wait for the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. This word renew is interesting. It can refer to something being swept through. Like when I was in the army as a truck driver and we had a motor pool, giant, massive concrete parking lots, and they would give us these huge push brooms that were like five or six feet wide and we'd have to sweep for like hours and sweep the dust from one part of the parking lot to the next. Or maybe in your house. Young people, maybe you have the chore like my son has to sweep the kitchen and the living room, which are wood in my house. Son, look at those crumbs. You gotta get all that stuff. You gotta sweep it from one room to the next into a dustpan. That's the word being used here. There's also used of, of a seed in the soil that breaks through and sprouts and begins to produce. You see, when we wait upon the Lord, because it is purposeful, he will begin to renew us, begin to bring breakthrough. Now look at this word strength. Fascinating. I know it sounds weird, but in the original language, this same word here for strength means transformation. To transform, and they actually use that same name for a chameleon. Kids, have you ever seen a chameleon? It's kind of like a lizard. Look at YouTube. There are some really cool videos of chameleons, and there's this one where someone has like a green object, a blue object, red object, black object, and they had a pet chameleon, and they let it walk on each of these objects, and as it walked on them, its color began to change according to that object. So it turned green, and then red, and then blue. It was like, what? 
That's what scripture is telling us. You see, when we wait on the Lord, yes, there is stress, but God is strengthening us. He is about to take us somewhere new to allow us to break through, just like this little airplane mimics a jetliner. How many are thankful when you're in an airplane that that airplane has some real stress and strength in its engines to break through those clouds and get you to a point where you can go on your journey? The same thing is true for you. God is always about bringing breakthrough. So a question I ask myself, maybe you want to start asking yourself is this, where is God taking me? God is always about taking us somewhere, always about bringing us from there to there. All of scripture is about waiting on the Lord as he takes us from there to here. I can think of one at least, the great exodus, people that were delivered from captivity and set free and taken on a journey to the promised land, but it was a 40-year wait. God is always taking us somewhere. When we trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, we're taken from death to life. We're taken from darkness to light, from helplessness to hopefulness, from despair and discouragement and disillusionment to destiny. God is always taking us somewhere, amen? Begin to ask him, where are you taking me? Maybe you might not ask it that way. Here's another way to ask that question. God, what are you about to do? How are you working all things for good? How will you soon receive the glory? You know, the good news is that God created us to be with him. He did. He created us to be with him. We were designed to be in a healthy, whole, harmonious relationship with our creator. Now our sins separate us from God just like they do one another. Praise God last night at the hotel. I got to share the gospel with a guy behind the counter at the front desk. He has the same name as my son, which it's a common name, but a unique spelling. And he has the same nickname. And I began talking with this young man who identified as an agnostic, who prays to the universe, and so forth. And I began sharing with him how God created him to be in healthy relationship with him. And I was clear to say that our sins separate us from God just like they do one another. And I told him, that young man last night, I said, if I lie to you, you don't want to be anywhere near me. And see, the thing is, sins can't be removed. They can't be erased. They can't be hidden by any of our good deeds, by anything that we do, by no ideology Nothing that we do to try to obtain nirvana, enlightenment, peace, shalom, harmony, paradise, heaven, a better lot in life, nothing is sufficient. In fact, I told that man last night who actually behind the counter, probably during the slow periods of the evening, had a book on philosophy. I actually said to him, the French philosopher, his last name is French, so I knew there was a connection there, and he's studying philosophy and so forth, and I said, the French philosopher Blaise Pascal is credited as saying we have a God-shaped hole in our heart. I told him, I said, that's wrong. Pascal said we have a God-shaped abyss, and I asked that young man who's soon to turn 21 years old, I said, do you know what an abyss is? It's the deepest, deepest part of the ocean. 
there are abysses that we have not yet explored because they're so deep. You see, nothing can fill that void that we have because it's a God-shaped, God-sized void. And in the midst of humanity, in the midst of our waiting for hope, waiting for peace, waiting for destiny, waiting for an eternity, God sent his son into our world to be with us and to pay the penalty for our sins, past, present, and I know the many future sins. He paid them all on the cross of Calvary. And everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever because he takes us from here to there. And we begin to grow and become more like him. As Ephesians 4 says, we mature in his likeness, in the fullness of Christ. Amen? Where is God taking you? Have you trusted in him today? And are you continuing to trust in him? Sometimes when I endure a great strain, I'm going to be honest, I forget. I really forget that God's teaching me something. And I I sometimes forget that he's taking me somewhere. But just as I hold this airplane in my hand, our Heavenly Father holds us in his hand. He hasn't forgot. God hasn't forgotten you. I know you're waiting, and he knows it too. Let's look at that third thing that happens when we wait. There is soaring from the waiting. There is soaring from waiting. Praise God. There is an opportunity to soar. Let's go to our scripture verse real quick. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. Okay, that's the English standard version. Let's look at a different version of of the text. New international version. Those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. Young people, if you don't know that word weary, it means like really tired, like exhausted. They will walk and not be faint. All right, let me pause really quick here. The original language is closer to this phrase, mount up. Maybe you're like me, and the image you have in your mind is giddy up, mountain a horse, right? That's not what it means. It means to ascend. Imagine that pilot in the plane seeing a mountain coming, having to pull up and get lift. That's the word used here for the Israelites, and I believe it's the truth that we need to hear too. Now, I live along the Fox River Valley. And along the Fox River, there are beautiful birds, all kinds of gorgeous birds. But the ones that really catch my eye are the birds of prey, like the peregrine falcons, especially when they're on the side of the road tearing up a squirrel or something. It's really awesome. Or the bald eagles. I'll tell you what, there's a big difference between a fat, lazy pigeon that swoops down to grab a french fry from the Burger King parking lot and then flaps away, and an eagle that swoops down a river and with its talons snatches a fish out and then pulls up. I believe in Christ. The Spirit of God can help us pull up, mount up, and overcome any obstacle in our life. Do you believe that today? Do you believe no matter the stress and the strength that God will allow you to soar? When I was a kid, I would have a plane like this, and, and over time, I, I learned a few things. 
I, I couldn't throw it in the wind. I, w- I would throw it in the wind, and it would just come back or it would fall. Or I'd throw it when there wasn't enough wind. I'd have to wait for the wind. Do you know, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, the word for spirit we use for Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is also used of wind. Friends, sometimes waiting has more to do with God and his timing and letting the Holy Spirit bring about what you need. Let the wind of God determine the situation and when it's time to soar. Just as I have to wait for the wind to blow, to blow and blow in the right direction if I really want this plane to soar. Who am I telling? Who am I telling? That's a third question for you, especially if you're taking notes today. Who am I telling? You know, every time you go through a waiting time is an opportunity to tell people about God. And don't just wait till you're on the mountaintop till you're soaring and life is really good. Oh, I just want to thank the Lord I got that raise. I want to, just, I want to thank the Lord we're in marital counseling and things is, are, are the best they've been in years. Oh, I just want to thank God I got that new toy or what. That is wonderful. But praise him not just on the mountaintop, but praise him in the valley. Praise him when you're under great strength. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not talking that. I was going to use a word here. I don't know if it's appropriate. That malarkey that wishful facade talk. Oh, things are going really well when you know they're not going well. Listen, don't lie to God and don't lie to other people. That's not faith to say that things are going well when they're not going well. But still praise him anyway and tell other people, hey, listen, I'm going through something right now, but I know the hand of God has me. I know God is faithful. I know that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Hey, I know you're going through something right now. And I've been there before. And maybe I don't fully understand everything that you're waiting on. But I know the one who does. Tell others what God is doing and who God is. All right, let's go ahead and summarize this. And I want to invite just some of the worship team to play some music as we conclude our time together. And before we go to prayer, here's here's a few things I want you to remember while you wait. There is stress, but there is strength. Whoa. And at some point, you will soar. That soaring may not be the way you think it will be. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayers the way we want them to be answered. But I guarantee you, the more you walk by faith, not by feeling or sight, the more you let the facts of God's word and what he says about you determine who you are and where you're going, you'll get there. You'll soar. Let's go to the next slide. While you wait, I want to encourage you to respond in three ways. Discover. Discover. Respond by discovering what God is teaching you. That means asking God questions. God welcomes your questions. God, what are you teaching me? What are you doing here? Where are you? God, give me something from your word to hold on to in the midst of this. God, I need to know that promise. I need to know truth so I can fight lies. And then secondly, discern. Respond by discerning where God is taking you. Now, discernment's a unique word. It means really to to lean in and, and hear, to get close. Do you know the word faith in scripture? 
means divine persuasion. And then Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul uses a unique phrase, hearing faith, of which many Bibles translate a different way. Faith through hearing. But it means that the voice of God is always speaking. And we hear his voice and are persuaded that it's him and we trust him and follow him. Have you ever been in a dark room or maybe outside at night in the middle of July and it's dark and you hear a noise and then suddenly you recognize who it is? Kids, it's your parents, it's your sibling. Or maybe it's a light in the midst of the darkness and it's enough to persuade you and then you trust and you follow. If you're here today and you don't have faith, you haven't heard the voice of God, you haven't trusted in him and you're not following him, I would encourage you to believe today. Lean in, discern the voice of God. And saints, whether you've been a believer for a week or 30 years, keep leaning in. Lean in to that scripture reading or whether you're listening to it on audio. Keep praying and pausing. Because remember, it's communication. Let him impress upon you what he's saying. And then declare. Respond by declaring what God is doing in you. And don't sugarcoat it. People need to know what's genuine. Share a little bit of the ugliness. But make sure you let them know that you still trust in Jesus. And while you don't have it figured out, he does. And friends, when you're on that mountaintop, you need to declare it. A few years ago, I went from Chicago, 600 feet above sea level, to Denver, mile high. I have hiked 12 or 13 of Colorado's mountain tops. They have over 50 summits that are 14,000 feet and higher. And so two days after arriving in town, my buddy Dan and I decided to hike one of these mountains. They call them 14ers because they're over 14,000 feet high. And so we drove up to the trailhead, which was about 10,000 feet. And then we trekked up to 14,000 feet. Now, the problem was I should have waited a week or two to acclimate because when you go from sea level really high to 10,000 and to 14,000 feet, the oxygen is different. And so it was very hard for me to breathe and to get that oxygen flowing in my blood to my extremities. My mind was like, hey, you can summit it. You can do this. But you know what? It was the hardest trail I've ever hiked in my life. I told you, I've done like a dozen of these. We lost the trail 75% of the time. We had to do what they call scrambling. Scrambling is a fancy word for crawling. Crawling on boulders and rocks. Friends, I didn't know if I can make it. I felt so exhausted, so weak from sea level 600 feet to 14,000 feet. <gasps> My buddy Dan's hiking pole broke. My body was broke. I made that summit that day and I descended. And for about two days, every part of my body was aching. I tell you that story today because some of you are at sea level, but you have a mountain size obstacle and you just don't know how God's gonna help you mount up. Trust him, trust him in the waiting. Yeah, there's strength. There's stress, but there is strength. Someday you're going to soar. 
I want to encourage you before we pray today to think about this. Who do you know who needs you to share, to show and share this hope? Someone you know who is waiting on the Lord, waiting for salvation, waiting for hope, needs this message. I want you to think about who you can text, talk to, meet up with this week. And I want to thank you once again for praying, partnering, and passing on the word about our ministry. You can connect with us online. You can meet me in the lobby. But I have one last question before we close in prayer and dismiss you. Do you want me to throw this airplane? Are you sure? I don't know. Some stress here, some strength. Let's see if it'll soar. Oh, wow. There we go. Oh, watch your heads. Boom. All right. Physics proves what God's word says. How about that? Will you join me in prayer? You can bow your head and close your eyes, or you can keep your eyes open and put your head up. I don't really care what you do. But join me sincerely in having a moment with our Heavenly Father. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're with us in the wait. We thank you that although there's great tension and strain when we're waiting for a miracle, waiting for a need to be met, waiting for hope, waiting for healing. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of that tension and that strain, that you are teaching us something about you. Thank you, Lord, that your word, the Bible, your love letter speaks truth to us in the midst of our wait, teaches us all about you. We thank you, God, that there is strength that is being produced within us, that you are bearing fruit, that you are crafting us, shaping us, molding us more and more into your likeness during that period of waiting. We thank you, Lord, that you're taking us from here to there. And that really, even as Christians, this is not our home and we're just sojourning. We're just passing through and we're waiting on our eternal reward, on our celestial city, on heaven, on being fully in your presence. And God, we, we, we recognize today that there are times where we are gonna soar and we're gonna mount up. We're gonna get great lift, great flight. And God, we give you the glory for that. We want other people to know that you're a miracle working God. God, we also are reminded today that we'll praise you in the valley too. Because you're faithful and you hold us in your hand. Lord, help my friends really discover what you're, what you're doing and discover who you are and discover what's going on in that situation. Lord, help my friends discern to really hear your voice and understand where you're taking them. And Lord, help them to declare it. Help them to let their world know you're the God in the waiting room. God, if there are anyone here today that has not trusted in you, they have not heard you beckon them, heard you calling them, have not been yet persuaded by your spirit, have not yet trusted and have not followed. Lord, today in the midst of their soul, quiet the chaos, settle the static, amplify the symphony, help them hear your voice. Lord, we pray that you would birth faith by your spirit and they would believe, not in their good works, 
but in what you've done on the cross. We thank you, God, for today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Look forward to chatting with you afterwards. Thanks for having me here. Have a wonderful week.